going to be reading from Mark chapter 2 as we prepare for uh, the message. If you'd like to turn there um, in your Bibles, you certainly can, and it'll also be on the screen. Mark chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. I got on a website this week, or actually here recently, um, a website that recounts some amazing things that, uh, some stories of people who have actually been through, well, they woke up from a coma after a significant amount of time, and um, they're all amazing, all of those. It's just, uh, I don't know how I stumbled on that, but just uh, just to read some of those stories, some of them years and years afterwards, and which is one of the ones I want to share with you, um, some that, you know, for months, some for days, but uh, some, most of those stories where people were in a coma and the, di- the diagnosis or the prognosis from the doctor is, it was that these people will never wake up again. Um, this one that I'm going to read to you now is just, uh, it, to me, it's really, really incredible. Um, again, there's, there's other ones that are just, um, that are, I, I think are, are similar, um, but this one really stuck out on me, stuck out for me. But it, 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 the story is that in 1988, and this fellow was working on the railroad, his name was, and I, I really don't know how to pronounce this guy's name, he's Polish. How many Polish in here? So, uh, Grzebski is all I could come up with. So anyway, we'll call him Ski. Uh, no, his name is Jan. We'll call him Jan. But he received some head uh, injuries while trying to connect uh, two of the railroad cars. And, and according to the report coming out of his home in, in um, this place in Poland, <laughs> I can't read these names. I can read Greek, but I can't read this, okay? I'm just telling you. Uh, anyway, this guy was in a coma for 19 years. 19 years. And it, it just, when I hear this story, I'm reminded of a kid who got run over by a car. This happened to my brother. When, I, when he was five, I was about two or three. No, I, I don't remember how. I must have been five. He was a little older. I must have been four. He was seven. 
Anyway, kid got run over by a car, and the guy's name, the kid's name was Patrick. It was one of his school chums. And for years, as we were growing up, we would get story after story. This kid is still in the hospital, or it's in some kind of home. He's still in a coma and everything else, and they're waiting for this little kid to hang up, to, to wake up. And, and my understanding is it never did. And, uh, you know, he would be, if he would have, he would be 56 years old today. Um, but that's what that reminded, that's why this one struck me so much is that, but anyway, this guy here in Poland had been, he had been in, 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 a, in a coma for 19 years. His wife tenderly moved him every hour so that he would not get bed sores. 19 years. And then he woke up. And the world was completely new to him. Poland was no longer a communist country, and he had to be introduced to his 11 grandchildren. <laughs> the story was picked up by a, by the news organization, by a bunch of them all around the world, including the BBC and, and the Associated Press. And, and, and However, after the story had made the, the headlines, this fellow, Jan Zebski, Grzebski, claimed that the stories were completely exaggeration, exaggerations. He, he said that he had been in coma for only four years, that when he woke up from the coma, he was still mute and he was still paralyzed, but was completely aware of what was going on around him. He watched television and he knew that Poland was no longer communist. But it's interesting because his story was already pretty amazing. He woke up from that coma after four years and then had 11 more years of being paralyzed and mute. Um, he was first finally talking and even learning to walk. That's amazing. And when the reporter who broke the story was asked about the inaccuracies, she said that her version of the story was correct. And also she said that there are different types of comas, including ones where people stay asleep and ones where they wake up sometimes. And, then, and yet Jan Grzebski's doctor confirmed that Grzebski's description of, of, his, uh, of, his, uh, of his disability. I, I don't care how you put it. This is just an amazing story. Whether the one report is right or whatever, this guy woke up after years and years of being in a coma. And I just can't imagine in my mind the joy that that would have been for his family of that awakening and, 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 and the excitement of that awakening of the body and of awakening of hope and the awakening of love. And I think that the, 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 the uh, passage that Susan just read earlier in Mark chapter 2, it, it, it's a similar story. It records for us the story of another man whose life is, is marked. It's marked by paralysis. It's marked by, 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 this, uh, by paralysis. And more than anything, this is a guy who just simply wants his life back. He, he's tired of the of the years of bed sores, of, of staring at the ceiling and, and relying on others to turn him and to feed him and to bathe him and to clothe him and to bathroom him and, and to transport him. And so he lays on this mat, this three by six mat, day after day and week after week and month after May, month without, without hope and, and only a bleak future to look forward to. And you think about it, there's no neurosurgeons, there's no specialists, no bionic parts, no physical therapists, no, no electric wheelchairs, no medical breakthroughs on the horizon, no miracle drugs in the development. This guy is paralyzed, he's crippled, he is incapacitated. But there's some news uh, that are making the rounds throughout, 
throughout the, the town about a, a healer who has cast out a demon, about a healer who has killed, cured another man of leprosy. And, and wherever this healer went, crowds are just swarming around him. On this particular day, people were flooding into Capernaum from everywhere to see this man that they called Jesus. Many came with hope to be healed. Others came out of curiosity, just wanting to be convinced. Uh, some came to find out who was rocking the religious boat, and they had every intention of trying to stop him before he made any more waves. But none probably came with any more hope, with any, any more anticipation, and in any greater need than this paralyzed man. This could be the day of his miracle, the, the day his whole life would change. And so can you imagine the disappointment when, when he and these four guys, they, they carry this mat to, uh, uh, through, it, they're carrying his mat, and all of a sudden that they discover that the house where Jesus was speaking, that this whole house is just packed, that there's no way through this wall of flesh. But not to be deterred, they quickly brainstorm another approach. It, it must have been quite a sight in that house when, when a hole begins to appear in the ceiling, particles beginning to, to, to make a cloud of dust, and all of a sudden these four guys lowering this paralyzed man through the ceiling, right through the roof and right in front of the face of Jesus. Can you imagine that happening here today? Can you imagine the anticipation? Can you imagine the butterflies jumping inside of this paralytic as he's taking this ride down through the ceiling, down to the floor? It just, uh, as, he's, as he's being lowered into this room, I mean, I'm thinking this guy has got to be thinking to me, I mean, this, is, this is, could, could be it, and finally what my need is going to be met, and, 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 and once and for all my body is going to be healed. I've got to believe that inside this guy has got to be saying to himself, Jesus, go ahead, Jesus, heal me. This is... This is it. Here we go. And so I can only imagine, I can only imagine his disappointment when instead of hearing the words be healed, that he heard Jesus say, Son, your sins are forgiven. I mean, don't you think that inside of himself he's saying to himself, well, big deal, right? I mean, anyone can say that I forgive you Anyone can say, I forgive your sins. I, here's a guy who wants a miracle. He wants to be healed, and he thinks that Jesus can do it. Now, I, I, I know that Jesus, or that the Jews, I'm sorry, I know that the Jews connected sin and suffering. I know that the Jews felt that forgiveness of sins was something that, that, required, that was required before anyone could ever be cured. But you can't tell me that the need of this man was, that, that, that the need that he was most hoping to have met this day was that he would have his sins forgiven. He wanted to be cured. He wanted a miracle. But as Jesus always did, he took a deeper look and he, he, he could see that paralysis, that, that it was actually, actually deeper than it appeared. And because inside of this man, inside of his body, that withered body was a crippled soul that was paralyzed from sin and that was comatose with shame. And Jesus said to him the words that he didn't actually come to hear, but probably the words of what he really needed to hear, your sins are forgiven. And so let me just stop the tape here just for a moment. Each of us, and, and just to say this, each of us comes to here, to church, 
every single week because we have a need in our lives. I'm convinced of that. I don't think that we'd set the alarm and go to all the effort to be here if we didn't think that we needed to be here. Now, that may differ for each and every one of us, but, but maybe, and I think about this, but maybe what we perceive to be our greatest need and maybe what we actually need are two different things. Maybe what some of us need more than anything else, maybe what can transform us and, and can transform our families is not another idea, but maybe what we really need is a fresh touch of amazing grace and an and awakening of a life that is calloused by sin and a greater appreciation of a blood-stained cross. Maybe some of us are paralyzed by guilt and, 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 and maybe what we really need to hear are the words of the Savior, your sins are forgiven. Now, I, some of you know the rest of the story of this paralytic, how Jesus proved to everyone that he had the power, that he had the authority to forgive sin by later also physically healing this paralyzed man. But, I mean, what, a, what an incredible moment for that man. What an incredible moment for his friends and all who were in that house that day. I mean, how freeing it would have been just to hear the words, your sins are forgiven, but then, to see a demonstration of God at work that verified your sins are really forgiven. And so today what I want to do is I want to address some needs that many of us, I think, may have that maybe we didn't come to have met, but what we need to have met. Because first of all, like the paralytic, I think that we need to authentically experience forgiveness. Now, why would I say that? Well, here's why. Listen to... Listen to how J.B. Phillips translates 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. He says, if we refuse to admit that we are sinners, then we live in a world of illusion and truth becomes a stranger to us. We shouldn't be deceived about the sinfulness of our own hearts because God isn't. There, there's no such thing as a closed bedroom door. There's no such thing as a cl closed closet, a closed office door, or a closed car door, or a hidden heart, or a secret desire with God, because He sees it all. Maybe you heard about that burglar who was making his way through a house in the dark, and he heard a voice in the background saying something like this: "I can see you, and Jesus can see you." Have you heard that? And he was kind of startled by that. Nothing really happened. And so he continued on doing what he was doing. All of a sudden he heard the voice again. I can see you. And Jesus can see you. And uh, all of a sudden, so, uh, so as he's listening to that, he shines a fla flashlight over towards the voice. And all of a sudden he comes and he recognizes that it's a parrot. And the burglar says, well, you're just a parrot. And he says, yes, I am. And Jesus is a Rottweiler. We, we shouldn't be naive about our own sinfulness. We may have fooled each other, but we haven't fooled God. James Dobson once told of a, of a Christian leader who had taken a bad moral fall and fellow repented of his sin, rebuilt his marriage. But, but he said that following that, in a one-year time span, he said uh, he received over 6,000 letters from Christian men and women confessing to them their secret sins. And, and, and just basically, basically what the, the guy says is that, you know, I, I just never knew there were so many people who, who had this, these secrets, all of these secret 
sin in their past and, and how deep their shame and how deep their pain was. I never knew. But see, the truth of the matter is that many Christian people, people all around us who profess Christ, I, I believe many Christian people are paralyzed by guilt. Some of it may be secret. Some of it may, may not be secret. And, and there's all kinds of Christians around us who are struggling with all kinds of guilt. And, and I don't know what that is for you. I, 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 I heard a minister say one time <laughs> that after finishing a baptism that he went to the changing room. You know, this guy's dripping wet and he reaches out for a towel and you never guess what he found on there. He, as, he's, as he's trying to, to dry off, right there in the church building of all places, he reaches out and he grabs a towel and it says on it, Holiday Inn. Can, can you just picture that? This scenario where this person is sitting there, you know, at home and he's feeling guilty every time he opens up his linen closet. He says, well, now maybe what I'll do is I'll, get, I'll ship that off to, to, oh, I know where I'll, I'll sneak it in with the church towels, okay? Um, that should help ease his conscience, you know? But, you know, sometimes guilt can do that to us, can it? It, it can just eat at us and just work its way. And, and, and all of us today, I think, are carriers of that baggage called guilt. And, and for some, that memory is as fresh as it was last, as last week. For others, it occurred years ago, years ago. But it still dogs us and it haunts us and causes us to lose sleep. And the guilt has us paralyzed. I, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I know that I have a lot of failures in my life. I, I know that I deserve to be punished for all the sins that I have, uh, that I have committed against the holy and awesome God of this universe. And, and, and that is why I am so amazed. That is why I'm so encouraged. That's why I'm so drawn like a magnet to this Nazarene who says to paralyzed people like I can sometimes be, your sins are forgiven. But if we can't acknowledge our sin, we'll never be able to authentically experience forgiveness because forgiveness requires our confession of those sins. Proverbs 23, 28, verse 13 says this, He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. In other words, what he's saying is that we, none of us, we will never succeed in life if we try to hide our sins. If, if we confess them, if we give them up, then it says that God will show us mercy. That's, that's, that's the amazing thing about God. And confession means I, I accept full responsibility for my faults, that I'm radically honest with God about what He already knows. I don't rationalize it. I don't say, oh, that just happened a long time ago. Or, or everybody does. You know, or I don't minimize it. I don't say, you know, this is no big deal. If it's no big deal, we wouldn't still remember it. But the point is that when we confess our sin, the Bible says that God will show us mercy. Through Christ, we authentically experience forgiveness. Christ paid for our sin. That, that, that's why He died on the cross. And when Christ forgives, the amazing thing is He just He really blots out our sins. Remember His last words before He died? I love the last, some of the last phrases that he has, but one of them was, it is what? Finished. It is finished. That was, uh, what was finished? The payment for our sins was finished. And, and when Jesus died, he was saying to you, he was saying to me, this is paid. This is paid in full. You need not carry the load of guilt any longer. 
Well, what happens then to our sins? Isaiah chapter 38, verse 17 tells us they, they, they go out of, out of, out of sight. In, in the Psalm, Psalm 113, it says that they go out of, a re, out of reach. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25, it says that they go out of God's mind. In, in Psalm chapter 51, verse 1, in verse, verse 2, it says that they go out of existence. And so we need to authentically experience the forgiveness in Christ. There's a second need that we have, though, and that is to passionately proclaim forgiveness. Passionately proclaim forgiveness. Can you imagine the scene outside this house? Capernaum, when, uh, when this man who had been paralyzed is dancing in the street with all of his friends, and, and they, they had to have been celebrating. Tears had to be streaming down their cheeks, and, and with joy I can just see them passionately proclaiming that Jesus has the power to forgive sins. There, there, there's just a, there's a little more passion to the message of forgiveness when it comes out of the mouth of a freshly forgiven person. When it comes from the lips of a person who has this renewed awareness of the touch of amazing grace. And, and my, my question is, how passionately are we proclaiming the message of forgiveness today? If you're listening to the news, if you're listening to all the things that are going on around in our, our nation today, there are some things, there are some people that need to hear the message of forgiveness. In one of his books, there's an author that tells about preaching a sermon on how Moses was a murderer, and yet God used, used him to be a great leader. God also used that murderer to write one-fourth of the Old Testament, he, this author says, and and so he says in his sermon, he says, what a tribute to, an amaz to amazing grace and to forgiving love and to the sovereign wisdom of God. So he gets back to his office, and this, there's this anonymous desk, note on his desk, and, and it was someone who had heard his sermon, and he wrote this note back in response. He said, it's a good thing that Moses was only a murderer. If he had been divorced, he would never have been asked to serve the Lord. And I think about that, and I, I you know, it's just, um, I, I'll almost guarantee you that here's a person with, who was uh, one of many who had gone through the the uh, through some uh, through a divorce and had been hurt, and through it he decided to turn to God for help and, and and the church, and he did that for healing. But instead of exceptions, found judgment. Instead of instead of encouragement, found rebuke. Instead of Instead of uh, finding an offer of forgiveness, they were simply reminded of the failures of their past. And, and unfortunately, I think that thousands have walked away from many church, church buildings disillusioned, saying, I just don't understand. I went for help, and instead I found rejection. Uh, I have to be honest with you. I, I think that that's not what's true of new life. I think that we have a, a genuine compassion for people, no matter what the circumstances. But I think that things like that break the heart of God. I think that con that's contrary to the spirit of Jesus who helped people to move forward in their lives, like the, like the person in John chapter 8, caught in the act of adultery, or the person in John chapter 4 who was married five times. Or the, you know, Jesus just came to offer people this message of hope and of, of, of grace and of forgiveness. And then, then he gave his life to make that possible. He was crucified so that, so that we wouldn't have to be. 
Ephesians 4.32 gives us this important reminder. Be kind to one another and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in, God, just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, don't, don't misunderstand. It, not for a moment should we minimize the seriousness of sin, right? Sin is awful. Sin is ugly. But let's not minimize the greatness of God's grace either. If someone genuinely reaches that point of brokenness, if someone genuinely acknowledges their sin and, and, and repents and, and receives that forgiveness of Christ, we likewise should forgive them. I mean, shouldn't we forgive them just as in Christ God has forgiven us? I remember like it was yesterday, a conversation that my father had with me when I was in college. My dad had, uh, I can probably give you, dad's been gone now for about eight years, but I can probably give you just, just little nuggets here and there of times where, where just, it's like I can just turn the movie on and remember those words. And uh, dad just said to me one day, he just uh, said, son, uh, I've always tried to be the best parent that I could be, and I know that I've made a lot of mistakes and that I haven't always been there for you. But you need to know that you have got a Heavenly Father that never makes mistakes, and He will never disappoint you. He will always be there for you, and I want you more than anything else to know that Heavenly Father. See, those who have experienced, authentically experienced forgiveness, I think that they're the ones, which was my father who has, I mean, it, I, I've, I've shared his story with you before, but when, when, when he experienced that, that's all his life became about. Because those who have authentically experienced forgiveness often become the most passionate about proclaiming that forgiveness. But there's a third thing that many of us, I think, have that, 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 that needs to be addressed and if you're like me, you don't want to be reminded of this. Um, because you see, we like to experience forgiveness. We like to teach forgiveness. But where it really gets sticky, I think, is when we need to personally extend forgiveness. I wonder how that paralyzed man and his four friends handled the situation the next time that they had a disagreement, the next time that they had a falling out. I wonder after, after the next time that they said the words, I don't ever want to see you again, or if the next time that they were hurt or offended by the other, one of the others and were ready to explode, I just wonder if in the heat of that moment they didn't remember their mountain of sin and recall the words of Jesus who said, your sins are forgiven. And I wonder if they didn't say, hey, hey Jesus has forgiven me of so much. How in the world can I not forgive you? Let's just put this behind us. Let's just be brothers again. In fact, I really believe that this is where most Christians get stuck. The big, biggest obstacle that we face is really in forgiving those who have wronged us. And I have personally counseled numerous people with very little time left on this earth about this very important need to extend forgiveness. But it is so hard to let go of that hurt. It is so hard to let go of that pain. And, and, and the words that are so often spoken are these, but, but you just don't know. 
you just, you just don't understand what they've done to me. You don't understand what they've done to my family. You see, I was right. They were wrong. And forgiveness would be just too painful. But Jesus never said that forgiveness wouldn't be painful, right? If, if we forgave as Christ forgave, or if we forgive as Christ forgive, forgave, that means that we, well, it just means that we'll have to absorb some of the pain, just like Jesus absorbed pain on the cross. But see, forgiveness is giving up our right to retaliate and, to, and doing our best to restore the relationship. Forgiveness says to others, just like God says to us, I'll, I'm going to pay for it myself. I'll absorb the hurt in myself and let the offender go free. And that's difficult. But the word forgive ends with the word give. We have to give up our pride and our sense of justice. See, when I remember how much God has forgiven me, it becomes a whole lot easier to forgive other people. I've discovered I will never have to forgive anyone else more than God has forgiven me. Now the flip side of forgiving others is that maybe we need to go to somebody and say, I'm sorry I hurt you. I'm sorry I sinned against you. And even if others are unwilling to forgive us, we need to do our part in the recovery process so that we might get over that guilt and that pain and that shame and, that, and, and become healthy. Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says, If it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. We need to personally extend forgiveness to others. Well, here a couple of weeks ago, the trial for Bill Cosby was coming to a close. The jury had retreated to a small room for deliberation. Now, I, I really don't, I'm not putting that on today. I just, you know, whatever... What, Whatever went on in that trial, I really didn't watch it. But in those moments, I think about that whole thing because this is just a national thing and then many, 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 many people's eyes are just focusing on this. But in those moments leading up to the verdict, I imagine that that defense was just tense and that they were nervous. And then Bill Cosby had to stand up and he had to face the judgment. I mean, what a moment of drama. But can you imagine knowing your entire future was hanging upon the judgment that was about to be given? And it just hit me that that is exactly what's going to happen to every single one of us in this room. Because one day, we're going to have to stand before God, before this righteous judge, and we're going to have to face judgment. And I'm thinking, man, I mean, you talk about nervous, right? I'm thinking, uh, you know, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are, in fact, guilty. We know it, and we better have a pretty good defense attorney. But see, that's what the good news is, right? In the book of Hebrews, it says, Jesus is our advocate. The word literally means that he is our defense attorney, and he stands, he stands before God, and if we are in Christ, when the judgment is getting ready to be read, it will read something like this, on the account of Paul Roberts, on the charge of, and you fill in the blank, we find the defendant not guilty. And I'm going to go, yes, right? Because I know that I am. On the charge of anger, not guilty. On the charge of stretching the truth, not guilty. It will be as if I have never done those things, that I, and I will be acquitted because Jesus is a great attorney, 
and he went to bat for me on the cross and he said, God, look at Paul through my perfect blood. Look at Paul through my sacrifice and forgive him. I gave up my life for him so that he could be with us in heaven forever. I don't know what we came expecting today, but maybe what we thought we needed was different than what we actually needed. And I'm here to tell you that only in Christ do we truly find forgiveness. Only in Christ do we truly find forgiveness. Let's pray. Father, I recognize as I read this, the kind of people that I, I really think that this hits to the heart and soul of who we are as Christians. I don't know what's on the heart of each and every one of us here as we read this, but I, I know in fact that that not only do we need to experience your forgiveness, but we need to extend that forgiveness and that we need to, to uh, share that forgiveness with other people. Help us to be forgiving as you have forgiven us. But help us also to seek you, to be honest with you, to come out before you and to, to recognize our faults and to, to seek to draw closer and closer and closer to you each and every day of our lives. Father, thank you for the work that you did on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.